This Advent season, we are examining the theme of prayer in the scriptures. The scriptures teach us about prayer, what it means to be a people of prayer. And beloved, in the context of this series, as we're examining the scriptures these weeks, I have good news from you, for you, from the scriptures. And the good news is this, prayer, just like every other part of your life in Christ, is God's gracious gift to you. If there's anything that you walk out of this sermon series remembering, I want it to be this. Prayer, beloved, is not a work that you perform in order to please God. No, prayer is a gift that you receive by the Holy Spirit in and with the Son as you offer yourself in full communion to the Father. Prayer is not a work you perform, it is a gift that you receive. Prayer is not something that you stir up within yourself because we are not Unitarians, friends. We believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that triune nature of God means that prayer is actually the entering into the eternal ongoing fellowship that exists between the Son and the Father, that you step into, that you actually become a participant in because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus has poured out upon you. You see, prayer is a gift that you receive. It's not a work that you perform because, beloved, you never actually pray on your own. You never pray alone. It's impossible for you to do so because of God's triune nature. You always pray in and with and through our Lord Jesus, the one who is always, always, all the days of your life has been and will be praying for you. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, the eternally begotten Son of God, who has taken on flesh and become man, he now lives forever as your man in heaven, our man in heaven. And he lives there for this reason. The scriptures tell us that he might forever intercede for those who draw near through him to God. Jesus lives that we might pray, that we might pray in his name, that we might be drawn into the eternal triune fellowship of Father Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the claim of Jesus. Remember, we just heard it. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that means, Jesus says, that no one comes to the Father except through me. He is now our channel, our, our gateway, our, our bridge into the presence of God. And this is true not only for our salvation, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, not only for our life everlasting. This is true also, friends. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, also in your life of prayer, also in the way that you petition and offer up your desires to God. In this way also, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. For in him, in Christ, all things, all things, including all of our prayers, hold together. 
He is the one in whom all things hold together. This morning we've heard already from Exodus 2 and 3. It's a really fascinating passage here. We're, we're very familiar, of course, with what happens in Exodus 3, where God shows up in the burning bush. But what we don't often notice is that the reason that God shows up at that particular moment and place is because the people of Israel, as we read in the end of chapter 2, have begun to cry out to him. They've begun to pray and ask God to deliver them from slavery. And because of their prayers, God acts. God acts in response to the prayers of his people. The scriptures tell us there in Exodus 2 that God remembers the promise that he had made to Abraham, that he would deliver Abraham's descendants from slavery. And then in the epistle of James, we heard how James emphasizes the power of prayer instructing the elders of the church to anoint the sick with oil and pray for them that they might be healed and promising that the prayer of a righteous man has great power that as the old translation puts it the prayer of a righteous man availeth much and we should ask ourselves who ultimately is this righteous man whose prayer availeth much and in the gospel we heard Jesus give his disciples this remarkable promise regarding their prayers. He said to them, because I am the way, the truth, and the life, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. Whatever you ask through me, in me, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Well, here now from our sermon text, um, where again Jesus is speaking about prayer to his disciples in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he makes very particular promises here uh, regarding the power of prayer. Listen now to God's word from Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. It's printed for you in the back of your order of worship, if you'd like to read along there. This is the very word of God indeed the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. And so we ask now that by your Spirit, you would cause us to read and mark and learn and even to inwardly digest these words that we might, more and more hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. It's very interesting to me that in all of the scriptures, there is no teacher, there's no prophet, there's no person in all of the scriptures who emphasizes more than our Lord Jesus, the power of prayer. He's always talking about it. He's constantly talking about the world-altering power of prayer. It's one of his most consistent themes in his teaching. Jesus, if you read the Gospels, he makes breathtaking statements all over the place about prayer. He makes staggering promises about the power of prayer, how God hears our prayers. And he does all of this without any hint of qualification, without any asterisks, without any hidden motivations. Jesus says all sorts of things. Here, here are some of the things that Jesus says. He says, if two of you agree upon, on earth about anything they ask, he says in Matthew 18, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells his disciples, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. In John 14, he says to his disciples, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In John 15, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And John 16, Jesus continues to speak about prayer. He says, truly, truly, whatever I, I'm truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give it to you. He says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name, but now ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. And just as we heard a few moments ago from Matthew 7, Jesus taught his disciples to pray boldly to their Father in heaven. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Beloved, whatever your other interpretive principles of the scriptures might be, here's one of first importance. When Jesus opens his mouth, we should take it seriously. We should pay attention. We should trust that he, the Son of God, means what he says. You see, Jesus is often saying all kinds of outlandish things that we are tempted to not take very seriously to our own detriment. It would be a mistake for us not to trust what Jesus says. For example, Jesus is always saying things like, blessed are those who mourn. And he means that. He means it, friends. He says things like, blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when you are hated, Jesus says. And he means that. We should take that seriously. Jesus says things like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we certainly should take that seriously. Jesus says things like, if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. Jesus said that. And we have to take that very seriously because it comes from the lips of the Son of God. Jesus says things like, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. As though that might be a temptation for the church in the future. 
He says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he means that. When Jesus opens his mouth, we need to take him seriously. And when Jesus says the kinds of outlandish things that he tends to say about prayer, when he says, ask and you will receive, beloved, we must take that seriously as well. You see, what Jesus is instructing us in and teaching us in is that our prayers matter. That our prayers, that the prayers that you and I pray in the name of Christ, actually influence what happens in the world. That they are powerful force, both in terms of the smallest details of our lives, as well as the rise and the fall of nations and the course of history itself. God delivered Israel out of Egypt because his people asked him to, because they begged him to, because they cried out for deliverance. And so since God invites us to pray and promises to give us what we pray for in faith, the implication is that we should pray boldly with faith, with trust for those things that we desire to see both in our lives and our families and in the world itself. This is how the scriptures, and particularly our Lord Jesus Christ, instructs us to pray. But you might ask, if everything that happens in the world happens because God wills it to be so, because God ordains it, then why should I pray? What's the point? Isn't whatever that is going to happen going to happen anyway? And that's a good question. That's a reasonable question for us to ask, given what we believe the scriptures teach about the sovereignty of God, that he ordains all that comes to pass. And, and we want to affirm those things, absolutely. God ordains all things. God is absolutely sovereign. And yet, think about this, when God carries out his sovereign will, when he causes things to happen in the world, he typically does so through means. Second causes, as our confession puts it. For example, God in his sovereign will, he wills that you have daily bread. In fact, you've probably already had some of that daily bread today that God had willed for you to have. You probably will have some more later. Whatever meals you eat come directly from the hand of God because of his providence, because of his sovereign will that it be so. But God think about it for a moment, does not cause that bread just to appear on your table when you wake up in the morning. He could if he wanted to. That's essentially what he did for 40 years in the wilderness for Israel. But typically, that's not the way that God provides for our daily bread. No, God gives you your daily bread. He causes it to be there for you, but he uses means. He uses second causes. He uses human industry. He uses a farmer who plants the crops. He uses the sun and the water to make those plants grow. He uses harvesters and truck drivers and bakers who bake the bread and grocery store clerks who put it on the shelves and sell it to you. All of this activity is God's providence, God using means 
in order to carry out his sovereign will, which leads to the provision of your daily bread. And in much the same way, the prayers of God's people are one of the primary means by which God moves the lever of history, by which God works things for our good in our lives. Prayer of the church are one of the means, one of the second causes by which God carries out his will in the world. John Frame, who's one of my favorite living theologians, um, he explains this wonderfully in a quote that's printed for you on the back of your order of worship if you'd like to look at it. He says this in that quote. He says, God ordains prayer. Did you think about it for a moment? That God doesn't just ordain all the stuff out there. He actually ordains even your prayers. And he ordains prayer, Frame says, as a means to change history. There are things that happen because of prayer. And there are things that do not happen because there was no prayer. Now, of course, Frame says, prayer doesn't change the eternal plan of God. But within that eternal plan, there are many plans for means and ends. God ordains that crops will grow, but not without water and sun. He ordains that people will be saved, but ordinarily not without the teaching of the word. And he ordains that we will have everything we truly need, but not without prayer. Did God will for Israel to be delivered out of Egypt? Yes. Were the prayers of his people as they remembered his promises and cried out to him for deliverance, one of the means by which that will was enacted? Yes, absolutely. Crying out to God in prayer, friends, is a real and central means by which God works his will in the world because he has willed it to be this way. He is determined to work out his will in this way, to answer the prayers of his people as they pray to him in the name of his son. In James 4, the apostle writes to the church and he says this. He says to them, you do not have. Why? Because God didn't say that they would have it? No, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. That's what the apostle says by the inspiration of the Spirit. And that's a fascinating sentence in the Scriptures. If we take it seriously, friends, the same thing applies to us. We do not have because we do not ask. There are things in our lives that we do not have because we do not ask God for them to be. There are injustices in the world that are the way they are because we have not yet asked God to change it, for it to be different. Beloved, I am convinced, utterly convinced, that what Jesus is inviting us to do, what the scriptures are teaching us to do, is to pray boldly with faith for big things, for huge things, expecting that God will actually use our prayer as a means to carry out his sovereign will in the world. He has willed it to be so, that his people have a role to play 
and the sovereign outplaying of history in the world. And, and to make this question just really practical for a moment, I want to ask you this. What is the impossible prayer in your life today? What is the thing that you haven't asked God for? Not really, because it seems too hard or too unlikely or too unreasonable, too crazy. It might be something in your personal life, a sin that haunts you, a, a challenge that's before you. It might be something in your family, some form of suffering that ex you experience. It, it might be something in the broader world, some evil or injustice that exists. As the year of 2022 draws to a close, I would encourage you to take a few moments and consider what the impossible prayer is for you right now that you might ask the Lord to do in 2023, that you might set yourself to pray for in the weeks and months to come. Actually write it out, write out that impossible prayer. Put it on paper. And then go to your Father boldly with him, asking in Jesus' name that he will hear you, trusting that Jesus means what he says. Of course, even thinking about prayer in this way, daring to ask God for impossible things in prayer, it's a, it's a deeply vulnerable thing even to consider doing that. To pray for big things, to pray for things that seem impossible, to really, really pray for them, right? Not just to sort of nod our head and think, well, that would be nice if that happened, but, you know, we live in a world, right? To, no, to really pray for those things, to really ask God and to cry out for him, to act. If we do that, it, we, we, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves into the hands of God in a new and deeper way. What if God answers our prayers, but not in the way that we expect him to? He might do that. He's God, of course. What if God doesn't answer our prayers in the time frame that we desire? If we really ask him for the things that we really deeply want, we have to open ourselves to that possibility. That he might answer our prayers, but not as quickly as we like. What if God doesn't give us the thing that we want or do the thing that we want in the way that we want him to do it? We have to submit ourselves to his will if we ask for these big things. You see, to pray in these ways, to dare to pray for the impossible things in our lives requires faith. It requires faith, the trust that God is really good. He really is. And not just in some abstract theological way where I can proof text that, but that he's actually good towards me as a person, as an individual. He's actually good towards my family. He's actually good towards the world that he loves and has made. It requires believing that God actually cares about our deepest desires, about the things that we long for in our lives. And, and it requires faith to put those desires into the hands of God and say, God, yes, this is it, right? I'm going to stop playing games. This is what I actually long for. This is what I actually want. And I'm going to give it to you and ask you because I can trust you with that. I trust you enough to surrender it to you, 
and put myself at your mercy. That's what we do when we pray impossible prayers. If we're honest, I think often the reason that we don't bring the big things to God in our lives, the reason we don't bring before him our deepest desires that seem most impossible and put them into his hands is because we lack the faith that we need to do it. Our faith is weak. It's often small. It often fails. And so it's easier to stick to small prayers, right? Reasonable prayers. Incremental prayers. Prayers that feel like we can, you know, they're bite-sized prayers. Faith, hope, and love abide, says the Apostle Paul. But our faith is often weak. We're often afraid to offer to God our desires because we don't know exactly what he's going to do with them. And we don't fully trust that he's, he's trustworthy enough to commit our whole selves to him. But beloved, here is where, again, it is good news that you don't pray alone. That you pray in union with someone else, in union with Christ. Because as it turns out, there is one man whose faith never wavered, whose faith was never weak, who always trusted his father with his deepest desires. There is one man who never fell short in terms of believing the goodness of God. There is one man who believed by faith that his father was always good, that he always heard his prayer. Do you remember the words of the Son of God at the tomb of Lazarus? Do you remember what he says? John tells us that Jesus lifted up his eyes there at the tomb in John 11. He prayed. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Always. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now, there's a confident prayer. There's a prayer full of faith. Right? Even in the face of death at the tomb of his friend, Jesus' faith did not waver. He knew that his father heard him. He knew that his father would listen. He knew that Lazarus would come out of that tomb. And it was that same faith that is reflected in Jesus' last words as he cries out before his own death to God and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Beloved, make no mistake. Our Lord Jesus died with the prayer on his lips, knowing that his Father would hear him knowing that his father would not abandon him to the grave, that he would be raised on the third day in glory and power and victory. Jesus died trusting that he would be raised from the dead. He talked about it many times. He was on record about it. And even this moment, as Jesus prays in heaven for us on our behalf, he is praying with that same kind of trust, that same kind of confidence in the goodness of God, that same kind of faith and trust in his Father, a faith that does not waver, a faith that does not fade, a faith that abides forever. And what is Jesus praying for? He's praying for you. 
He's praying for me. He's praying for God to give us our daily bread. He's praying that we will be protected from the evil one. He's praying that we would be delivered from temptation. He's praying that we would forgive those who have sinned against us. And more than that, he's praying that God's will would be done, that God's kingdom on heaven would come on earth. In other words, he's praying that his father would make the nations his own possession. We know this because in Psalm 2, God the Father says to God the Son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing right now in heaven. He's asking the Father for all the nations, for all the peoples, And beloved, what the scripture says is true. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that is a promise that is first and foremost about our Lord Jesus Christ. Not about us. He is the righteous man whose prayer availeth much. He is the one in whom we pray if our prayers are to be heard. Because the prayers of our Lord Jesus are heard always by his Father. And so, beloved, as you pray, even in the weakness of your faith, remember this. Remember it. Don't forget it. You never pray alone. Not once have you prayed alone, ever in your life. Because prayer is not a work that you perform. It is a gift that you receive. And you receive it from the hand of Christ who has poured out His Spirit on you, that your prayers might be joined with His. And so when we pray with our eternal High Priest in this way, when we enter into His intercession for us, we are invited in that actually not to rely on our own strength, but on His. Not on our own faith, but on His faith. To depend on His confidence and His Father's goodness as we join our prayers with His. And that enables us to pray for big things. And we depend on the faith and the confidence and the strength of Jesus instead of our own. What would it look like, beloved, for you to take your impossible prayers to God? Like those prayers that you hardly dare to speak aloud, depending not on the strength of your own faith, but rather on the confidence and trust that Jesus has toward his Father. That's exactly how I would encourage you to pray, wherever you are today. To go to God and say, Father, I am offering you this prayer, not on my own, but I am offering it to you in the name of Jesus, who prays for me. And by giving it to you in the name of Jesus, I am depending on him. And his trust and his confidence in your goodness in all the places where my faith is weak. To say to the Lord, I can't pray this prayer on my own. I can't pray for this impossible thing. I don't trust you enough. My faith isn't strong enough for that. But I know that I never pray alone. And so I'm going to pray for this impossible prayer in the name of Jesus. In the name of the one who prays for me. What if we prayed like that? 
What difference would that make? Beloved, I am convinced that it is only as we pray like that, only as we pray depending on the strength of Jesus, that we will pray with the kind of boldness and confidence and faith that God invites us to embrace as we ask our Father for the things that we long for. And it is only as we pray in union with Jesus, with the one whose prayers are always heard, that we will come to find that what he says is actually true. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word and for the promises that you have spoken to us by the lips of your Son. Father, give us the faith to pray in the name of Jesus. To pray for those big things, Father, that we long for in our lives, in our families, in the world. Trusting in Christ, not in ourselves. Trusting in Christ that you are good and that you hear us and that you will give us good things. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.